John 20, 19 through 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So today, a week after Easter, and I I, got to ask like how, was Easter for you? Like, how was your Easter week, your Easter day, your Easter dinner? Uh, I'll be honest, like, mine was bizarre. Like, I felt weird about it. The day we're supposed to be with our church and family and friends, we're all, like, legally required to stay away from each other. Um, Because it's not wise or loving to expose ourselves or anyone else to a virus that could be harmful. And my guess is uh, none of us, like, dressed up on Easter, Normally we dress up. Um, I'd love to take a poll to see how many of us like put on outside pants for Easter. Uh, that'd be fun. It's such a wild day. If you're like that kind of hopeful optimist, I tend to lean that way. Like, oh, it's going to be great or whatever. Uh, maybe you were doing awesome for the first two weeks of this shelter in place. I imagine now as we're stepping into week five of shelter in place, you're not doing so hot, I imagine. And you're joining the rest of us in that. Uh, We have a family member who's one of those hopeful optimists. And she recently called and she's like, hey, I think I just felt depressed. Like, she was like, I didn't like that. I think I just actually felt depression. So it's like everyone's starting to like hit this wall right now. And what is this group shock that we're feeling? If we could like name it, what is this group sadness like, even though Jimmy Fallon and John Krasinski are, you know, doing their best to, like, brighten our days, what are we still feeling? This ambient anxiety, if we could name it. Uh, recently, the New York Times interviewed Kate Bowler. She, she's the author of the book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, which is a great title. Um, Kate Bowler is a historian at Duke Divinity School, and a few years ago, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She's very familiar with grief and loss and fear, and so the New York Times interviewed her about this pandemic, trying to get at what we're all feeling right now. Um, And Kate Bowler said this. She said, it feels so familiar, that feeling of waking up in the morning, and for a moment, you don't believe it's real. I remember that feeling of not remembering I had cancer, 
and then remembering all over again every day. I think so many people are waking up each day and forgetting that they're scared that they can't hold their mom's hand in the residential care facility they're at, or their sister's about to have a baby and they won't be allowed in the room with her. And I think we resonate with this. She's got her finger on it and uh, she digs deeper and she talks about how uh, some of these roots under our fears, how they've got there. And uh, she says this, she says, I think it's painful for everyone to know that there's just not a lot of room between any of us and the very edge. It really does run counter to the whole American story. It's a story about how scrappy individuals will always make it. And it's a story about how uh, Americans' collective self-understanding will always build something that will save the nation. And currently, both things are not true. Everyone else in the world will suffer too, but I don't think they will suffer nearly the same cultural disillusionment because they didn't have that account of exceptionalism. So here we are, uh, Easter season in quarantine. And exactly one month ago today, our governor, Gavin Newsom, legally required us to shelter in our homes and we're still locked in our homes. It's been a month. And the economy and sports and international travel and parks and beaches, they're all shut down. I don't even want to know how long until concerts come back. I hear conflicting stuff on that. It just makes me sad. And it's like we're all like leaning in, waiting for that epic climax in the story where all the hero scientists come in with their vaccine and save the day. Um, But it's not happening. And so we just kind of sit around in our house like, is this really happening right now? Like, um, And so here we are, week two of Easter season. What does the story of Easter have to say during COVID-19, during life in lockdown? And I think it has a lot to say. That's why we're taking these seven weeks to fix our eyes on Jesus in seven practical ways. Last week, if you tuned in for Easter, we saw the risen Jesus walk up to two depressed disciples on the road. And he's like, hey, what are you thinking about? What are you talking about? I wanna hear you talk about it. Be with me. And Jesus presented himself to them in the scriptures and in the bread and cup. He revealed himself to them. And now this week, we just read another resurrection story before Hendrik prayed. And this time it's from the gospel of John. And there's two very obvious powerful things in this passage that have a ton to say to us this morning, okay? So the 11 verses we read, we learned from them uh, that there were two different moments after Jesus rose where the disciples were sheltered inside their homes behind locked doors. John 20 verse 19 says the disciples were together with doors locked. And then again in verse 26, a week later, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, though the doors were locked. And so they're racked with anxiety, hiding out in their homes because, I mean, imagine they just saw Jesus, like the most powerful miracle worker rabbi anyone had ever seen. They saw him get tortured to death by the state. And now they're wondering, okay, if that happened to Jesus, what's gonna happen to us? We followed him, we're identified with him. And so they're all locked inside out of fear. And for them, they only knew one thing. There is no going back to normal anymore. This is the new normal. 
Their expectations were crushed and everything about their future was uncertain. So they're hiding in fear. But here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. Jesus knows how to get through locked doors. The peace of God knows how to pass through locked doors. This is what God is like. In our text, it says that Jesus comes through locked doors two times, both times. And both times it says, he then stands in their midst. This is what God is like. What a powerful image of the peace and presence of God. This is what God is like. It doesn't say like he like lockpicked the door or like kicked it down. Um, it says he passed through. He came through the locked door. And then three times in this passage, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And so John, who wrote this, he's sending us a clear message. Jesus knows how to come through our closed doors. Simply put, God knows how to help us, even when we can't help ourselves. God can empower you, even when you're too weak or despairing to even crack open the door to let him in. God can step in and bring peace into troubled lives like yours and mine right now. This is what the resurrection of Jesus means. God can enter the darkest places we can think of. As the Apostles' Creed says, he even can descend into hell to get to lost and hopeless people like you and me. So right now, we're those people. We're sheltered in place behind the walls of our homes. And this is out of love for our neighbors. But if we're honest, it's also out of genuine fear, like fear that we're going to infect someone or... Um, yeah, fear that we're going to actually hurt, be part of something bad out there. Uh, but also in this moment, um, a lot of us are tempted to hide behind barriers in our souls too. We've put up locked doors in our minds. We keep people out, the world out, and even our own emotions we keep out in this moment. We refuse to trust because we've been wounded or we, we refuse to be generous because of financial uncertainty or we're gripped by anxiety because of the tsunami of bad news that we bring into our minds. We do this in our relationships and our emotions. We've even done it to God. We wall out real hope in God. We've locked ourselves inside out of fear. And I'm not talking about just our houses anymore. I'm talking about our hearts and our minds. And twice, John presents the disciples huddled behind closed doors, locked in because of fear, twice. Twice he has Jesus come through locked doors, which defies explanation, and he stands in the midst. He stands in our midst as we're frightened and depressed. And three times he says, peace to you. So in this, in this text, the locked doors represents the disciples' fear and their vulnerability and they're weak, and they know it, and it's shocking to them. For the past three years, they got used to Jesus, the miracle worker. I mean, imagine an amazing teacher who can, you know, silence any scholar and walk on water and command the weather, and then the crucifixion happens, and everything is gone. 
So they realize just how weak and exposed they actually are now to the harshness of the world. So uh, there's a phrase in the article I mentioned earlier where Kate Bowler talks about why we're all feeling shock and uh, disillusionment. And in her words, why we're all tired at 8 a.m. lightly crying in our PJs. Um, And she says it's because, quote, we've drunk too deeply from the wells of invincibility. We've drunk too deeply from the wells of invincibility. I mean, a, a month ago, most of us just assumed our world was bulletproof, like stocks rise, real estate goes up, people get promotions. On a normal good day, that's just the way the world works. And we've drunk from that Kool-Aid, which is why a lot of us modern people are just baffled right now. We're we're baffled. Uh, In the pre-modern world, it was very normal. Uh, Before technology and enlightenment started to explode like it is, in the pre-modern world, the world was just sacred and chaotic and full of mystery and wild. And we're not in control. We're at the mercy of nature. That was the pre-modern world. Uh, but, but now uh, our world is not beyond our control. We control it with tech. And the more information we get, the more in control we think we are. We've drunk deeply of the well, the Kool-Aid of invincibility. We think we're invincible. And of course, uh, we realize, you know, we're not invincible individually. Like people get sick and lose their jobs individually. But it's not a societal, like society doesn't collapse. We're beyond societal collapse. This is the 21st century or something. Like, that's just how we think. But in one short month, all of that went out the window. Like, not just medically, but think about financially and travel and jobs and politics, everything, all in a matter of a month, we're being forced to wake up to the truth that we're more exposed and naked than we thought we were. So, uh, Yeah, and like the disciples, we're locked inside out of fear, for sure out of love, but also out of fear. Fear of, you know, not beating this virus or whatever. Um, The world is more vulnerable than we thought. So when Jesus comes through their locked doors, he doesn't say, all right, come out, you're invincible again. Or like, he doesn't say, why are you locked in here? I'm alive now. It's all victory from here. He doesn't do that. His message is not, let's just be positive. Let's stay positive now. Um, That's actually a uniquely American obsession with positivity. The idea that we're all just supposed to be positive all the time. It's it's that nebulous, the best is yet to come. Like, whatever that means. Obviously, don't get me wrong. I believe that Jesus will come back and the best is yet to come ultimately because Jesus is coming back and he's gonna heal the world. So yes, the best ultimately is yet to come. But don't let, you know, the best is yet to come turn into just like stay positive. Um, Because what if the worst is still yet to come? What if everything gets worse before it gets good again? Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, hey, come out, I'm alive. Like the best is here and let's stay positive. It's, It's all positive. No, he, and this is the second thing. He comes through locked doors and here's what he says. He says, In their midst, inexplicably present in their midst, he says, peace be with you. He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And three times, peace be with you. What does that mean? What does that mean? 
He's reminding his disciples about what he told them a few nights before. The night before he was crucified, he was in an intimate meal with the bread and the cup where he started the whole communion tradition, brought it from Passover and gave it to the church. In that moment, he he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And when Jesus says, peace, he's not just saying greetings or like, hello. You know, if you say shalom in Israel today, it's hello. Um, But when Jesus breathes peace or shalom, when he breathes this over his disciples, in this resurrection moment, he is breathing peace after having experienced the pain of the cross, after having endured what no one has ever had to endure, the abandonment and rejection and isolation and suffering torment and ultimately execution. He passes through that and he comes to us from the other side and says, I give you my peace. Having come through everything we, the evil world could throw at Jesus, he came through and gives us his peace. And now he's standing on the other side of suffering in full resurrection. And he walks into the room with his disciples and he says, peace, which means Jesus offers you a kind of peace. No matter the hurt and harm the world can inflict on you, Jesus can go through all that pain to pass through your locked door and stand in the middle of your bedroom, your living room, your heart's room and say, peace to you, peace to you. And the one who offers you peace is the one who endured the full force of the cross and evil and rejection. And he stands in your midst right now and he breathes peace. Not like the world gives. It's not just, you know, absence of conflict or positive thinking. This peace is himself, his own presence with you. Jesus himself is our peace. That's the point of the whole story of the Bible. Resurrection was the goal all along. God, the creator, loves his creation so much that his ultimate goal was to be fully present in the midst of his creation, of his human family. And here twice, his human family in this resurrection story is locked inside the fearful walls of their own hearts. And the God who intended to be with us all along is mysteriously passing through every barrier imaginable to be present to his creation like he intended. Nothing will stop him. Not death, not a coronavirus, and not any level of anxiety, not even the amount of doubt. Notice the disciples didn't need to unlock the door from the inside. Jesus passed through the locked doors. This is what God is like. Jesus himself is our peace. And just to wrap up and to bring us to a close, there's this picture in Revelation 3 where John, later in his life, he's writing from exile, the island of Patmos. And, and he, he's writing a vision of Jesus and, and, and Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking. And he's like, let me in. I want to dine with you. I want to be family with you. And... Uh, 
And that is, uh, that is one way God comes to us some of the time. He stands like a gentleman behind a door and he invites us to let him in. But what this resurrection story tells us too is sometimes God passes through locked doors. Not even our locked doors can stop God from coming to us. He's the God who comes down the mountain. He doesn't require us to meet him at the top. And he can pass through any human fear or sorrow or trauma or anxiety just to reach us and speak peace over us. And when Jesus comes in, he breathes out his presence. His peace is with us. So uh, my wife brought up last night as we were preparing kind of our minds for this this teaching that Jesus, he breathes out his peace and he gives us his Holy Spirit. And notice in the passage, the immediate command, forgive. Jesus knew that his disciples would have a hard time forgiving the world for all the trauma and forgiving their circumstances. They were betrayed by their own countrymen, by their own religious leaders. Everyone killed their Messiah and Jesus Coming back from the grave, he says, I give you the Holy Spirit. I give you peace. And now here's ultimately the deepest command I can give you. And that's forgive. Just like I don't hold your sin against you and I come through your locked door for you. Now you go and do likewise. I'm, likewise, I'm sending you to extend forgiveness through the locked doors of others. This is why we're set free into a world that it can come at us And with Christ's resurrection power, we can endure like Jesus did and then forgive like he did to our own hurt. And so we're gonna come to the table. But before we do, there's there's two things I wanna kind of practice. The first one, I'm gonna lead us through the practice for the week, which is uh, imaginative prayer. And we're in a perfect environment to do that right now because you're probably uh, at home um, and in a semi-comfortable spot. And that's a perfect environment to be able to sit with Jesus and envision his presence, thank him for his goodness and encounter him. And so I'm gonna lead us through a practice called imaginative prayer right now. And uh, I pray this is just like a tool in your belt you can take with you through the week. And if you're part of a community, hopefully you are, we're gonna reintroduce this practice in community groups this week. And we're gonna do it together, together and then alone. And so uh, first, the prayer practice. Um, Here's a verse to get us started. Colossians 3, verses one and two. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And that's not saying don't ever think about anything in the world. That's not what that means. It means let your mind be ultimately transformed and fueled by the truths of God about him and then what he says about us and live from that place. Don't live from the changing times or whatever the news is tomorrow morning. Um, And then finally, Philippians 4, 8 and 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, 
put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The, you hear that? So that according to these verses, there is a direct link between how we steward our minds and how we experience the joy and peace of God. Think about whatever's true, right, noble, the gospel, Jesus, his love, his character, what he says about us. And it says, and the God of peace will be with you, just like he was with the disciples. So he's coming to us now and he wants us to stay there with him. So that's what this prayer practice is, is meant to be. It's an ancient prayer practice where we quiet our hearts and quiet our minds. So I'd encourage you just to kind of uh, get comfortable in your, in your, wherever you're seated. If you're crossing your legs, something I find helpful, uh, just open my arms and legs because my, my, my body tends to dictate my soul, uh, to my soul during prayer. That's why we lift our hands to open ourselves and awareness to God. So just feel free to open um, your body and take a deep breath and invite the Holy Spirit to come where you are. Invite him to guide you with scripture and with his kindness straight into the presence of Jesus. And so I just like to invite you to envision um, a setting. Maybe it's the room that you're in now, or maybe it's a uh, a place you love to go when you're a kid. Maybe it's a tree you like to climb or something. Uh, just envision a setting and thank God for this place, this place of good memories and invite the Holy Spirit into that environment. Feel free to close your eyes or take a deep breath. Invite the Holy Spirit into that setting of fond memories. And now we're there in the holy place with God. We've invited him. We've set the table for him. Some call this, you know, the inner sanctuary. It's, it's a place in your imagination. Um, but a picture is worth a thousand words. And so as we communicate this space and we ask God to come in, we're saying, God, come in to a place that I've prepared to meet with you. I want to see you. And now, um, just imagine Jesus. Imagine him coming to meet you. If you, if, you, if you did climb that tree as a kid and you're in the tree, then uh, he's down at the bottom of the tree laughing and smiling up saying, hey, can I join you? And, and bear in mind, the image of Jesus isn't as important as the character of Jesus in your mind. His character is clearly revealed through scripture, compassionate, gracious, just. He's fair, he's right. He knows how to judge sin. He knows how to heal. And he's always the one in pursuit of you in love. And so Jesus is walking. Maybe, maybe he's climbing a tree to join you or maybe he's passing through a locked door like he did for the disciples. But he's there. Just be there with him. Thank him for being there with you. Maybe wave, smile, or literally say thank you for your presence. And I find that it's helpful and vital to let Jesus speak the words of scripture that are true about you. Um, so if you're a Christian and you're watching this, if you've 
admitted your need for God in Christ, you believe that Jesus is, Jesus is Lord, then these things are true about you. And listen to Jesus speak as you, as you continue imagining the scene. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 There is no condemnation for you. Romans 8.1 You've become the righteousness of God in me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 You are my chosen royal priest. 1 Peter 2.9 you are my own possession. You are my child. John 1, 12. You're my friend, Jesus says in John 15, 15. You have been raised with me and seated in the heavenly place with me. Ephesians 2, 6. You are loved. 1 John 5, 18. You are bought with a price. 2 Corinthians 6, 20. And ultimately, peace to you. I will never leave you or abandon you. You are my dear child. Matthew 28, 20, John 14, 18. And right now, just take 30 seconds. I'm going to get to the piano and just take 30 seconds to thank him for these truths about you because you are in him. And listen, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus and you're watching this, uh, welcome. I'm so glad. We're so glad that um, you've joined us. And, and I want you to know, and God wants you to know, that all of these truths can be true about you if you admit your need for Jesus's forgiveness, that you've sinned and you've lived a life that is antithetical to the way of Jesus and you need his healing and salvation. He died on a cross to forgive you and rose from the grave to empower you. And if you say amen to that, I want to know more about this, please email us, uh, info at parklsd.church. Go to the website. Let us know that you're like considering joining the family of Jesus. Um, we would love to hear from you. But those of us that have placed our lives in the hands of Jesus, these are true. So just thank him for 30 seconds. Thank him right now where you are. Maybe continue that image in your mind and just thank him.